Yeah. The next one is um, hiker plunges 30 feet underground into an old water tank, Massachusetts cops say. So this is in Munson, which I think is in Western Mass. So um, uh, I need to laugh. I'm only laughing because the, the, the assortment of stories this time around is really interesting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. But thirty-two year old guy, he fell into a, into the tank at eight p.m. Um, on March twenty-first, and uh, emergency crews took about three hours to pull him out of there. Um, they said the authorities believe the tank used used to serve the Munson Development Center, and uh, there's no other details there. So, so we can only speculate. So he must have been maybe bushwhacking and just fell over, walked on a a wooden plank or something and who knows I don't very know. interesting I don't know I mean the photo from the news article and I'll link the news article to the show notes it looks almost like where Pennywise the clown grabbed that kid and pulled them <laughs> under like it looks exactly <laughs> like that it looks horrifying it almost looks horizontal though to me it almost looks like you have Just to work strange. to get in there so I don't know what this guy was up to he might have been taking some shrooms too <laughs> so <laughs> Broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the live free or die state of New Hampshire. Welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, occasionally including the counties of Belknap, I mean, Belknap, um, something like that, and Coos Coos, wait. Or is it Coos County? Whatever. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stomp. Episode 52, Stomp. This is the, I think this is the official one-year anniversary. I think so. Stupid podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure this Friday would be one year, based upon my notes. Yeah. Yeah. Just about a year. So how many episodes? 52. 52 yeah, yeah so pretty cool officially a year um i got a little feedback from from my wife oh boy you love feedback right yeah yeah she doesn't like um so she she's she's like i gotta listen to the show she I took it about i was like you should listen to a couple episodes she doesn't listen um so she listened and she i wouldn't say she listened i would say it's more like she audited right because that's that's pretty much like it's just nothing but judging yeah so she does not like the fact that we just kind of shoot the shit for whatever 20 minutes or so Mm -hmm. and then like we'll do the show opening and she's like she's this is exactly what she said she's like why does he say i'm stomp let's get started and it's like 25 (laughs) minutes into the show that's so stupid yeah yeah i get that but I was thinking about that a little bit, actually. It's For me, it's more like, you know, watching previews at a movie or the undercard at, say, a, a boxing event or something like that. It's just a warm-up until you get to the main event. Um, yeah. yeah. What do you guys think? We have two guests here tonight, by the way, at the uh, Woodpecker Studio. So, Corey and Steve came down, and uh, we're going to have an awesome night. What do you guys think about that intro business? Um, a few of the podcasts I listen to, my favorite part is the banter before the show actually begins. Ha. Huh. There you go. That's I'm one vote. Yeah. I personally, too, think it makes the podcast itself a little more personal. Get to know the two of you a little bit better. Get to know your personalities, your humor. You know, all that makes uh, makes the show, I would say. There you go. Yeah. Another thing I think is um, the 
the voiceover dude introduces us already. So it would be sort of redundant if we came in after that and said, hey, it's Mike and I'm Stomp again. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. And then so she kept going. She also was like, Uh-oh. yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So I was like talking about how I got to get the T-shirts going. So I should have t- I should have an announcement in two weeks. The T-shirts are coming in soon. But um, I was talking about how I really like the podcast and how like, you know, it's coming up on a year and it's really cool that we've got a good audience. And she's immediately like, well, are you making any money? And I was like, no, we're not doing it for money. And I was like, we're just giving back to the community. You know, we're like, if we can get coffees and like cover the cost of the 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 podcast and like just get the word out about like, you know, common sense, safety when you're out there hiking and stuff like, and, and, you know, shed a little bit of a spotlight. So I was like, we're, we're just giving back. And she's like, well, who's giving back to you? <laughs> you <know? laughs> and, uh, and she's like, it seems, seems like no one's giving anything back to you. Like no one's giving you any free stuff. It's and I was like, well, I don't know what to tell you. So pure act of love. Anyway, so I am not going to have my, I'm not going to encourage my wife to listen to the show for another 50 episodes. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I mean, yeah. it would be nice to make some cash, but uh, yeah, we're happy doing it for for the passion of it and the, the love of it. It's It's been fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, <laughs> you talked about, this is a little bit farther down in the notes, but you talked about boxing, so we might as well just get to it, Stomp. Oh, <laughs> Will Smith? <laughs> yeah, we might as well. I mean, as much as I don't want to deal with it. Like, you know, so for the audience's sake, Stomp is a trained boxer, so... I guess I'd be very curious to get your your perspective. Like, I'm a little guy like Chris Rock, so I would probably have to do the same thing and just sort of like take it. But I feel like you would just completely snap and just <laughs> start tossing left and right. Yeah, that looked more like a slap. I, I I've watched the video too. I don't know. I, to me, it still looks like it's staged. It looks like one of those acting moments. I don't know. Did you see the video yet? Yeah. I, I mean, who hasn't seen. probably? Right. But. I don't know. That was such a weird moment. I, I mean, honestly, for me, it sort of took the wind out of the uh, sails for the whole night. I'm a huge movie buff. My wife and I catch up on all the Oscar mm-hmm. movies and stuff like that. And uh, to see that was so bizarre. I think if it was staged, it was a miscalculation because he's getting a lot of negative feedback from fans and stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's assault and battery. Right. Oh, yeah. There's Terrible. no question about it. We'll see what the uh, see what the Oscars do about it. I hope they do something about it. They should. I don't think they're going to do anything. I don't think they're going to do anything. I think it's just a... Yeah, who knows? It'll be a crazy, like, um, crazy memory for the next 20 years. I think Will Smith's and, you know, his brand is pretty much damaged because of it. But Yeah. Um, I'm not a fighter, so I think I, I got in a couple of scraps in high school, and then I got into a little bit of a bar scuffle when I was in college, and someone punched me in the nose, and I retired from... <laughs> fighting after that so i definitely would have ran that was a quick career <laughs> that was it yeah i think i had a couple of scraps so i was a wrestler in high school so i had a little bit of an advantage like i got into a couple of scraps and like just being a wrestler back then like mma wasn't a thing so like no one knew you know go wrestler you could just take someone down and lay on them and they couldn't really do much um but yeah like college i think i got into like a little bit of a scrap i was in, the, in a crowd and somebody punched me, and then that was it. I was like, I'm never going to get into a altercation again. But stop! You're a boxer, right? Have you, you, you have you done like amateur boxing and stuff? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I trained at um, Romalo's in Lowell 
Lowell Mass um, with Hector Mercedes. I think we talked about this. I don't know. I think, I think we might have touched upon it at one point, but I was doing PT down in Lowell and ended up working with uh, a guy that fought Tyson, their first, both of them, their first pro fights together. So Hector Mercedes, he got his nose broken in the first 15 seconds, ended up being my trainer for like two, three years. It was pretty awesome. Um, got to work with uh, Mickey Ward and like all, all kinds of people. It's really, it's a solid boxing community down there. So wow. yeah, it's awesome. I didn't Good. know that about you. Really? Yeah. No, there you go. See Super that? cool. Boxing punching bag back there. Uh, Hell yeah. <laughs> respect. <laughs> More respect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stomp is a real man. I'm just, I'm a big pussy. But Stomp's like the badass of the, the podcast crew. Don't mess oh, with me. I'm telling you, boxing's terrifying, man. There's nothing scarier than getting in a ring. Just even to spar or whatever, it's just you gotta be ready for some pain. I mean, it's it's crazy. I took karate when I was a little bit younger and went in some spars and always right, always was terrified. Absolutely. I mean, when those legs and arms are coming at you, man, it's like oh, pretty spooky. But yeah, anyways. But anyway, back to the Oscars quickly. Did anybody see Coda? Did you guys see Coda? You gotta see it. It's I. It's like one of those movies to me that come around every 20, 30 years. It was just beautiful. It, you know, it, has anybody hiked Osgood Trail? Mm-hmm. You know, the false yep. peaks, like yep. false peak after false peak. Oh. In terms, uh, my wife and I were a mess. We were crying. And just the second you think you're, you're over the cry, there's another one, and then another <laughs> one, and then another one. It was amazing. It was just such a heartbreaking movie. It was beautiful, though. So highly recommended. I got to check that out. Um but I will. Um, I, I also need to get to see Infinite Storm. So tonight we're going to be talking about like a lot of creative topics. So that's that's kind of why we wanted to throw the movies in here. But um, I'll check out Coda as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe I'll if I have some time this weekend, I'll get those knocked out. But the other thing I, you know, what I have been watching a lot of is the through hikers are on the trail stomp. Oh, I've I've seen that like thousands. Yeah. I didn't know how many people started. It's like uh, yeah, yeah. So, the Hillary Step. There was what, like 1,900 or? 19. So I actually saw a post yesterday where somebody, so for the audience, if you're not aware, so this is the time of the year from March through like probably May, middle of May. There's still a lot, you know, people get on in June and July, but like there's a huge flood of hikers that go down to uh, Georgia, Springer Mountain to start the Appalachian Trail and... Uh, one of the things that you do is you go and like check in at Amicalola Falls, which is like before Springer Mountain, but most people just hike it as part of the trail and they'll give you a tag and that tag has a number. So what Stomp was talking about is like 1900 people registered. Not everybody registers at Amicalola, but um, yesterday I saw somebody had posted, they were like number 2,150 with their (laughs) friends. So there's a lot of people on trail. That's amazing. So why do they do that system? Just to, do they stagger people's start like a race or no? I think they just do it so that the, um, I think it's the ATC, I, I forget the name of the governing body for the Appalachian Trail, but I think that they just, just do it simply to sort of track. Exactly. And then I think that you can check in wow. at Baxter and they'll take your number hmm. at Baxter. And you can also get a tag in, at Baxter if you go southbound as well. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, which oh. is pretty cool. But I've been watching um, some of the AT through hiker vlogging on YouTube. Yeah. And um, I put together a list of what I think 
it takes to be like an interesting YouTube vlogger for the AT. Do you, to you document, yeah, let, yeah, let's hear about it. So to document the trip. Yeah, yeah. What happens is, is like on the if you're if you're looking for something to watch, like there's these hundreds of these people that will vlog their through hikes. So they just like tape their experiences, and um, most of them are complete garbage Jeez. and boring to listen to. We're gonna interrupt but, you and um, do a quick cheer. <laughs> oh no problem. Cheers. They're cracking beers in there. Yeah, we have yeah. some reckless but, in the house. Um, yeah, exactly. We'll get to that in a minute. But I have like three rules that um, you need to, in order for you to be a successful AT through hiker vlogger on YouTube and catch and keep my attention. One is you have to be either a girl or part of a family. I don't know why, but I have no interest in watching dudes like do their, their vlogs. I haven't found a good one yet. Um, what about Posse? Posse does a good job. Posse's different. He's got the TikTok thing. So he's, he's, he's got um, his own thing. Gotcha. But um, the longer form videos, it has to be like six to 10 minutes, I think, is the sweet spot for YouTube. Mm -hmm. And then um, I like to see people like walking and talking on the trails. I don't know why. Walking and talking. And then, <laughs> what else would you be doing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like a lot of times they'll like, they'll, they'll do videos from a hotel room or something and it's garbage. And oh, then, yeah. Um, I, get you. I also like to see like videos of trail magic. I don't know why, but that's interesting to me. It's the little child in you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> huh. I, I have not really followed any. Um, the Hiking Viking, I think I'm subscribed to, so I've seen some of his posts. And then Posse, those are the only two people, really. Um, I am keeping a lookout for uh, Chez because he'll be leaving shortly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. I did. Um, I've been watching a couple of AT through hikers, so I will um, in the show notes. I'll post uh, links to a couple of channels, and I honestly like. I, I'll just like throw it on on a weekend, and I'll catch like people doing like five six days worth of the Appalachian Trail. And honestly, like nine times out of ten, people drop in Virginia or wherever. But every once in a while, you catch a good one, so it's worth checking out if you're looking for new material on YouTube. Cool. All right, Stomp. So a couple of other notes I have here to start with. So SARC, search and rescue calls are coming. April and May, um, typically April is a little bit slower, but um, I keep an eye on the, the media reports. And May is always the month where you start seeing a lot of search and rescue calls. So yeah. hopefully you're going to be locked down over the weekends and waiting for those calls to come through so you can get up to falling waters and save people. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. Can't wait. I've been on the trails a little bit, and uh, there's still a mess. I mean, this freeze, we just went from the melt to the freeze again, and now we're going back to the melt starting tomorrow. So it's pretty crazy out there. Like, I, I was up on Welch Dickey, and um, there's glare ice again uh, for much of it. And then there's bare patches for a quarter mile, and then back to glare ice. It's crazy. Not quite muddy yet. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure that you guys will be busy. Hey, statistically, is May busier than, say, October? I think I'd have to look honestly like I, I was capturing like I only I only like capture the media reported search and rescues and I think October tends to be a little bit more busy than May. Um, I think it's like a slow crescendo from May to June to July and then usually like it peaks again in the fall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you what do you think Steve? What's your take on that? Um, well, the spring always feels so busy, I think, because we've had such uh, a lull 
yeah, over true. the winter. You know what I mean? Once once those uh, those calls start to pick back up, yeah, the excitement gets rolling. Yeah. So so Steve is on search and rescue, but he's covering more the western side of the state, and Corey's actually covering more the eastern side of the state. So what's your take on that? From my take, uh, it seems like a little bit of a facade as we enter spring. People, you know, see the warmer temperatures down in town, start to go out more, maybe tackle some bigger objectives and then get into trouble because it's still very much winter above treeline. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So we'll hopefully it'll be slow this year. I think we can we can all use it. But um, just moving on to the next topic here, Stomp, you have this as a note, Apple Maps hiking around with giant backpacks to record. So it sounds like they're, it's, they're doing it's, the same thing that they do with cars. Yeah, it's some form of hiking, I guess. That's why I, it caught my eye. I mean, you just picture these guys cruising around London with giant backpacks on their backs full of recording gear. I think they're recording visuals, right? More or less the you Yeah. Like I don't know for view? sure. I've never actually seen it in person, but I'm pretty sure they take one of those like 360 cameras with them and are basically just, just like visually documenting uh, regions. When I first read this article, I, I skimmed it really quick and I thought what they were doing was actually doing that technique on trails. And then I went back to it again. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. They're in cities. But I thought it was sort of interesting. But can you imagine? I mean, what? Can they do that with uh, trails? Wouldn't that be cool? That's where I thought you were going. No, really. No, that's where I'm going. Absolutely. Right. Like, why not? Wouldn't that be cool? Like you get a street view of trails. I mean, I know that like on maps, people can take a picture right. and upload a picture for a location, but to have the whole route or something like that. It'd be quite the undertaking. Yeah, yeah it sure would. I, guess I don't know. People doing research or maybe people that can't go out onto the trails would be actually pretty pretty neat. Yeah. Well, we talked about virtual hiking several episodes ago. They're working on it. Mm -hmm. So you put VR headset on. There you go. You're out on the trail. I'm sure they're already working on it somewhere. How long do you think it'll be till we have to carry out somebody with heavy camera gear? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's a good question. Anywho, what's your take on it, Mike? I would say that if, um, if they're looking to hire people to map out trails and carry that stuff like i'm down i would i would do that in a second because i mean the virtual reality stuff i I would assume eventually they are going to need to like do that like Corey, like you were talking about like they're going to need to 360 map all of those environments in order to do the virtual reality so if um if they are hiring people to do it i would do it i also wonder like could they map it out using like miniature drones and low-level flying drones too. Who knows what's going to happen in the future? <laughs> yeah. I'll be dead and dead and gone by the time they get all this stuff stood up. But it's it is interesting times we're living in. That's a good point. I'm, well, then again, it's like flying a drone through canopy on a trail. Well, yeah. I do wonder, like, will they make drones so small that it, you could you could realistically like fly them under canopy and have plenty of room to maneuver around? Like, you, they could make a tiny drone with a tiny camera. I, I got to tell you, pretty easily. I've had a discussion recently with some folks that are working on uh, drone programs uh, for search and rescue, and the drones now have object object sensing capability, so they can avoid objects by themselves. Wow, <laughs> yeah, cool. it's pretty intense. FPV FPV drones. I'm not familiar with that. I'm familiar with like the Mavic Enterprise, which is yep. pretty high level commercial. 
I don't know. I follow a few people on social media where they have FPV drones, which from my understanding, and I don't know a lot, but they basically, like you were saying, are detecting things as it's in motion. Yeah. And I've seen ones that are like following really close, like bike races and so it has an object skaters and everything. Yeah. It locks onto something and just goes. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Corey, I've seen that. Like I, the other, th- I spend a lot of time on YouTube. You'll find out, but I uh, follow boating in like down in Miami, and that's exactly what they have. Is like they'll follow the boats that go through the inlets because they're so rough, and they have these drones that will literally. Le- and the the camera quality is like 4K. It's and it'll lock on to the boats as they go through these inlets, and it's like super steady, perfect picture. It's amazing. That's crazy. Hmm. Yeah. So well, who knows what the future holds with that. But um, stop moving on to sponsors in coffee talk here. So you want to want to share with us the latest? Yeah. Tell tell uh, your lovely spouse that we're only 19 minutes in this. We're doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing bad. So. <laughs> I'm watching the clock. The stress. <laughs> <laughs> so we have uh, some donations here. We have uh, Rich Rothman uh, donated 10 coffees. Martin Pazzani donated five. Someone uh, who we know is Shandy. I remembered this time, Shandy. You're welcome. Uh, she donated three, and then uh, this is an interesting one. Eastern Mountains, Eastern Mountain Sports donated for today. So wow, I guess I guess that's a good good sign. The word's getting out there that we exist. So thank you guys. Is that? Um, I hope that's not a troll, but uh, we'll find out. Because you can type in anything on that platform. Is there a way for you to find out whether that's really Eastern Mountain Sports? Because I want to see if I can get free stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Let me take a look. Hold on a second. I, I think can by look. digging into this discussion, you've now opened the floodgates. Yep, that's true. It's going to be a cat donations, like cat names. and um, yeah, Give me one second. I will take a look. Because I thought that was interesting. Um, here it is. The suspense is killing me. Actually, you know what? I can't tell. It doesn't um, give me the name of the the person or the email address on this. Sometimes it does, actually. So, but not in this case. All right. Well, we'll have to investigate. Mm, yes, we will. Prove it, EMS. All right. <laughs> right. <laughs> if that really was EMS, whoever that was that donated, just reach out to us. I want some free stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's all I have. Um, in in terms of um, sponsors, we have Stephen here from Reckless to give us our uh, quarterly, <laughs> I think it's quarterly at this point, uh, Reckless update. So I will let Steve take it away. All right. We, uh, <clears throat> we got a few exciting new beers coming down the line, I'll tell you about. Um, we recently did the uh, Pink Boots brew which is uh put on by the pink boots society it's to celebrate women in the brewing industry so uh, a lot of the ladies employed at reckless all got together and and uh they helped design and they brewed a uh a beer of their own making it was really cool they did a it's like a honey saison and they're adding hibiscus flowers that's going to be coming uh, out of the fermenter in the next week anyway, so you'll be able to try what the ladies of Reckless have to offer. Um, 
<clears throat> we're also doing a, a special beer that was created by brewers in Ukraine. It's called a resist anti-imperial stout. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're brewing this, this really cool stout. Um, like I said, guys from Ukraine put it together and proceeds will go to help um, refugees and things like that. Um, <clears throat> it's really unique because at the end of the brewing process, they, um, they wrote into the recipe to throw in a very special Ukrainian ingredient. So we're throwing in a bunch of beets. Interesting. Like beetroot. Yeah, sure. So we're hoping, we're hoping to get some fun color, some fun flavor out of that. Um, third cool beer I'll tell you about today is uh, triple IPA that we're bottling this week, actually. Um, coming out of a two-week stint in local gin barrels. Huh. So we have Aged yes, gin barrels? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. For just a little subtle addition to the flavor? Um, yeah, it's not, it's not super subtle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just, just because the, the, the style of the beer, it's not like a really big, heavy stout. So, so the, the flavors of the wood and the flavors of the spirit um, don't require... Uh, aging for as long in the barrel. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. You guys always come up with the coolest stuff. Yeah. 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 Creativity. Yeah. Cutting edge. The topic Wouldn't you of say? The night. I saw Steve. Yeah. I saw a guy. Um, he was doing like this instructional video about bourbon. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know much about bourbon or anything, but it's sort of the same principle. So he was like complaining about how he can't afford to pay for like hundred dollar bourbon bottles. So he ordered like there's this company that has like these um they, the oak wood spirals that mm-hmm. they sell, and he was like he bought this like cheap seventeen dollar bottle of bourbon, poured the bourbon into these like fruit jars because it would the wood wouldn't fit into the bottle, and then he broke off pieces of the wood, dropped it into the um, the cheap bourbon. And then, like, let it age for like four to six weeks, and then apparently, like these these wood spirals, like I guess, take the edge off of the cheaper bourbon and make it like high end bourbon. So I wonder, is there any any cheats that you guys can do when it comes to beer to accelerate that aging process? Well, they they sell the same or at least similar products for home brewers because if you think about someone who's brewing at home, they're not going to be able to fill yeah. a big fifty three fifty five gallon uh, wine barrel or bourbon barrel, whatever. So they sell those either cubes or sometimes spirals or chips for a home brewer to put in to uh, to get that woody flavor, that barrel aged flavor. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. clever, it's interesting. Like I, I never thought thought about it before, but I was like, this guy's pretty smart. He's like, he's he's taking a seventeen dollar bottle and he's probably spending fifty dollars on the wood spirals, <laughs> and then uh, you know taking the edge off the bourbon. I might try that. Yeah. So. <laughs> I only drink bourbon when I'm hiking and it's usually like an overnight in the winter in, in crag camp. And like, I need the edge. Oh the bourbon. yeah. 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 Bourbon's a lot lighter than beer. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's true. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. So Steve, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, so I, I already prepped Corey that we were going to ask him some stuff, but I want to start asking the guest as we start getting into summer. And you know, I asked Corey to think of three, but like you only have to think of one mm-hmm. and I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. So I want to start including in the show, like an aw- whenever we have guests, I want the guests to share like an awesome thing that they want the audience to consider doing over the summer. So one awesome thing related to White Mountains. It doesn't have to be hiking. It can be anything. But um, 
can you think of at least one awesome thing that you'd recommend for the audience to do this summer? Yeah, and you're probably going to groan and roll your eyes, but you should all stop by Reckless Brewing after your hike. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. I agree. And I, I actually, I need to do that. So I will be doing that with my with my wife and family at some point soon this summer. Dude, do you know how many people we sent your way from I the snowmobile? It. I hear it. Do you hear it? Um, from Britain? Well, a lot of times I'll, I hear you you say, oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so. And I'll hear from servers. Yeah. I wasn't the only guide. Like, no, every yeah. guide there was saying, oh, you just got to go to Reckless. Just yeah. period. Well, it's really easy from... Uh, from where you were sending them to. There's, yeah. there's, I mean, there's not a whole lot around in that area and no, the instructions really. are easy. Yeah. Turn it's, onto the road, drive straight until you see reckless. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's either Fabian's or reckless. Right. And Fabian's <laughs> is usually a, 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 a swamp. Oh, is it really? <laughs> oh, yeah. They're usually swamped is what I was going to say. And then I realized reckless is usually swamped too. So, <laughs> Well, we would uh, condition it on that say, well, it could be busy, but yep. they're definitely the place to go. <laughs> hey, I think we're good. 27 minutes in, and uh, we're at the show summary. All right. Well, are you through with our reckless updates or anything else? Or um, That's the exciting stuff I came prepared with. All right. Well, the, the last thing for Steve is that uh, you have some news for us, right? Personal news? Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I'll, uh, this May, I'll be getting married. Woo! Yes. Wow. I'm very excited for that. Thank you. Thank Epic. You. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. That's wicked cool. Yep, and then we're going to take off. Congrats or condolences. Yeah. We'll find out. <laughs> so far, so good. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so, excellent. Congrats. It's, um, you know, the key is compromise. You just have to compromise, mm-hmm. which means that you just do whatever you're told. <laughs> so we'll put the uh, show opener at 15 minutes in to the... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, perfect. So, okay, so uh, welcome to episode 52 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. Um, This week we're joined by Corey McMullen, who is a White Mountains-based photographer. You can find him on Corey Outdoors on Instagram, and we'll also include um, his website on the the show notes so that you can check it out. He's got some awesome photography. Um, So he is a hiker a photographer and a search and rescue responder and Corey's worked commercially for many outdoor brands as a photographer and he's also taken some of the most stunning landscape and adventure photos in the region so he's here to share some stories about hiking and uh, he'll teach us a little bit about photography here so um, later in the show we are going to share a little bit of White Mountain history where we're going to talk a little bit about the Dr. Jacob Bigelow expedition and Francis Boot of Bootspur notoriety and then we'll wrap up the show with some recent search and rescue news not a lot locally but we've got some stuff in montana and uh from around the world so we're looking forward to a a good show here i'm mike and i'm stomp let's get started awesome all right so let's talk about beer stuff here (laughs) let's talk about beer some more (laughs) yes (laughs) what are you guys drinking i saw that you got some carry out there right i am drinking a carry out yeah steve was uh generous enough to bring some reckless here so i'm having a carry out stout and uh this is the new labeling that um you showed us steve and it's beautiful uh awesome awesome backpack with the uh, search and rescue logo on there and it's definitely one of my favorites yeah local artist who uh, who used to work at reckless kirsten she does a, a lot of our labeling and her her info her uh, Instagram info and whatnot's on the on the cans. If you happen oh, to see it, excellent. That I was just going to ask that. Do you have? Do you guys? Is it? The, do you have a labeling machine like at the at the brewery, or do you have to get that? 
no, like done somewhere else. Yeah, um, we get them printed somewhere else. So most of the time, Kirsten will send art in to Phil, who does our uh, marketing and social media and stuff like that. And he's a Photoshop whiz. So he he makes the, the art into the can label and then we send it to a printer printing company and we get labels shipped from them. Excellent. And Corey, what do you have tonight? I hate to say it. I didn't know Steve was coming. Otherwise I might have, <laughs> might have held off, but I'm uh, actually not as much of a beer guy. So I am drinking a citizen cider, good neighbor, which is a strawberry and rhubarbs cider. Oh, wow. That's that really sounds good. Actually. I love mm-hmm. rhubarb. Can you, can you taste it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh actually. man, that's awesome. Very subtle, but it's good. And Mike, how about you? Yeah, I'm still working on. So last week I had this. Um, it's called uh, Native Land Aronaut. So yeah, it's the Arrow Brewing Company. So it's pretty good. I just I don't drink that much. So I had one last week, and now I'm on my second beer of the the four pack. Awesome. Not in uh, not in training for the Mount Washington, so you can splurge. <laughs> No, but I actually I do have a half marathon coming up next month. Oh, so wow. I've got to ramp up the miles. So cool. It's gonna be weird. Like I'm I'm like not feeling like trained up for it or whatever, but I'm just just gonna let it rip. <laughs> let it rip. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> Where is the race? It's in Amesbury. Okay. Amesbury. It's the called the Earth Rock Run mm-hmm. half marathon. I've done it before. So um I know the course, it's like local, so we'll see how it goes. Awesome. Good luck. Better you than me. Thanks. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'll keep you updated. So um, I'm hoping I can I can stick around 140, but I don't know. I haven't really run past five or six miles in a while, so we'll see. Hmm. All right. Recent hike stomp, where you been? Oh, just all over uh, <laughs> Welch Dickey. <laughs> it's just like doing the, the gym routine, trying to stay in shape, doing Welch. Up and down, up and down, bushwhack here and there. That's about it. Nothing major off the uh, off the local area. How about you? I was so I wanted to get out um, on the over the weekend. So I was in Boston, and then I went to Worcester on Saturday. So I'll talk about the trip to Worcester in a little while. But I on Sunday I had a free day, so I got up early, and um, I was kind of like I want to stay south because I didn't want to deal with like the monorail and the muddy weather and whatnot. So I did the bell naps, which I've never other than like taking the kids hiking on Mount Major, I've never been in there. So oh. it was great. Yeah. You pronounce it right too. Yeah, I know. Well, now I know. But um, <laughs> yeah, but I ended up doing like, I was trying to figure out the mileage. So I did about eight miles in there and I did, I went up Mount Major and then I went over to, I think it's called Straight Back. And then I went to Mount Anna and then the the peaks on Mount Quarry. So I think there's 12 peaks in the Bell Naps mm-hmm. and there's like the, the southern part, the middle part, and then the northern part is like Belmont, Belknap, Piper, and Gunstock or whatever. Okay. So I did the southern part. So I think over the next couple of weekends, I'm going to try to knock out like all those peaks and just get the get um, all the peaks in that region. I don't know if I'll cover all the trails or red line or whatever they call it, but um, it's nice in there. Isn't um, all, um, Major the eastern terminus of that range? Or am I thinking something? Yeah. Okay, that's what I, I thought. I think so. I call it the north and south, but it's probably east and west. I don't even know. Yeah, I'm not quite sure myself, but okay, cool. That's great. Yeah, no no people. I got there. I got on trail at like 645. I saw one, one person, I think, coming through 
on the way up and then I got passed by two trail runners and then that was it the whole time and then it was like very it was mostly dry but there was like some spots of like monorail and and snow in between quarry and coming down to um back to major it was a little little sketchy but probably a lot easier than it would have been in the whites yeah how about you guys anything steve lately um kind of like welch dickey for you i have uh, week state park mount prospect by my house i try to do that most mornings before work oh that's good pretty pretty quiet other than that um i took a, a friend and a fellow reckless employee up her first four thousand footer uh, it was about a month or so ago we did pierce um but that's about it of note really yeah. been a slow winter for me yeah same here mm. and Corey. uh to be honest with you actually mike funny you said that you're training for a half marathon because i'm actually doing the same right now uh, doing the newport half next month uh so i've mostly been trying to run get that up uh, but i did i have done monroe eisenhower and pierce mariah and the tri pyramids the last few weeks oh boy so how'd you get up north try uh, is def- that the route? Definitely not the slide. <laughs> oh, did you go up Scour? Yep. Oh, good yep. call. I saw and posted on the Instagram for the podcast some people that went up the slide about a week ago. And hats off, man. Yeah, Talk about seriously. sketchy. I can't imagine. Ooh, I mean, they had looked like they had crampons on the boots and ice axes and whatnot. But eh, no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's I. So I, I hiked. Um, forget weird we went up saturday and then down whatever that other trail is there um but we went i i went down the slide a little ways i was like let me just check it out and see if i can get to the opening part where you can get views and we got like maybe a hundred feet down and it was so crazily steep like you could never in the winter it would be crazy yeah just gotta have those perfect conditions to do the slide yeah, 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 and there were recent avalanches too, right? Elsewhere in the state at the time when these folks are doing it, and boy, it's just something you don't want to play around with. Yeah, but Corey, I've done the Newport half marathon. I've done the full marathon as well. Get there early if you've never done it before. Get on the bus. Good to know. So, all right, cool. It's showtime. It's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. It's showtime. So segment one here, we're going to welcome Corey. So Stomp, why don't you start off and take Corey through the awesome things and the coffee, and then I will start, I'll I'll take over with questions when we get into the hiking piece. Excellent. Corey and I were talking about this earlier. I I learned about you and your photography um, just by chance, I think, just, you know, scrolling through and lurking on different hiking pages and things like that. And then I started following you. And uh, since then, I've uh, just been observing your work and uh, the progression and the I mean, it's just awesome. It's a it's a cool story, and I thought you would be a fantastic guest to bring in to talk about the arts and the creative process for the podcast, which is something we touch upon here and there. And uh, thank you for coming down. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's start with your background, um, where you're from, um, how you got into hiking and photography, and all the all the high level stuff. Yeah. So uh, starting very young, my dad actually took my sisters and I. 
uh, out hiking every year, both in Vermont and in the White Mountains. Uh, usually every November, we'd come and camp up at Hancock Campground in Lincoln. Uh, so we would do that, do some late fall slash winter camping and do a little bit of hiking in the area. Um, uh, from there, photography wise, I did take a black and white darkroom course uh, in high school, but I never really did anything with it right after. It was one of those things in high school. You don't really think about anything long term. So you're just there. I was mm-hmm. in it, had fun, uh, forgot about it for quite a while. Uh, It wasn't until much after college that I had gone through a little bit of life changes and struggles and was looking for some new things to really put myself to, devote myself to. One of those things was kind of ramping hiking back up and I was coming up to the White Mountains. Um, Ended up taking my dad's old film camera with me on some of those hikes and quickly (laughs) realized how expensive film really is. Oh yeah. (laughs) So, uh, it was shortly after that, that I had gotten into hiking more and taking the camera out that I decided to spur the moment, uh, invest quite a bit of money into a nice semi-professional camera, uh, digital camera. And, uh, from there things kind of just, it was, it's been a whirlwind. Things kind of just spiraled from there. And uh, what soon was just a passion became I was getting jobs and ambassadorships and just all these opportunities that I never really expected would come my way. Yeah. And where are you from originally? So I grew up in Groton, Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, but I've lived kind of all over in New England for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I live in North Conway now. And how long have you been in Conway? Probably four or five years now. When did you get uh, turned on to search and rescue? That was probably late 2018, early 2019. Um, I I have several friends in the area when I moved up here, and a a good number of them actually were all on search and rescue. Um, So both seeing that as well as, you know, frequenting all of these trails where I lived and, you know, just having a passion for it. I, I, I was thinking to myself, why can I not do this? And you know, volunteer my time and give back to the community in some way. Yeah, that's great. So back to photography, um, were you, did you have a goal in terms of a focus? Was it always, I want to shoot mountains or were any other areas like weddings or anything like that? Or was it strictly outdoors? Well, as I mentioned, I mean, when I was getting into photography, um, it was all pretty spur of the moment and kind of a spiral. So you know, I was just in it for the the fun of it at the time and the adventure. Uh, it was mostly mountains and yeah. uh, hiking photography and landscapes and things like that to start. Um, from there, you know, I, it's tough to say because I don't think I really thought to myself that I could ever do this for a job. Yeah. Um, but nowadays, I, I don't really uh, invest much of my time chasing weddings and the like. Um, if they come my way, certainly I won't turn them down or turn them away. Yeah. Um, make, make hay while the sun is shining, they say. Um, (laughs) but most of what my, my focus is, is the outdoor adventure. I sort of brand and advertise myself as a commercial outdoor product photographer. Awesome. Yeah, if you do have any wedding uh, connections and they need a DJ, let me know. Will do. Uh, but uh, now, is this your full-time gig or are you doing any other work? Or 
Yeah, so I am a full-time freelance. Um, for a while there, when I went uh, full-time photography, I was doing REI on the side, just working a, a day or two a week. Mm. Uh, but that's recently uh, changed over, and I'm just just freelance now. That's awesome. And we did this uh, with Steve. So three awesome things to do in the White Mountains this summer. What's number one? Well, first off, Mike, I wish I was given a chance to just pick one, but... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I guess I'll just pick three. Uh, so my three were stargazing on the kank. Uh, so oh, I mentioned I grew up camping and hiking in the Lincoln area along the kank. Um, and one thing we did, actually, my dad was always really big into stargazing. And we would always drive up to one of the, the scenic vistas and uh, kind of pop up at night and you know, either stargaze or watch a meteor shower. Uh, so that that was one thing that I, I came up with that I would really recommend visitors or just locals to do. Yeah, uh, that's it's, excellent. Good it's quite call. dark there and quite quite something to, to witness. Hmm. Uh, second thing was uh, stay at an AMC or RMC hut or lean-to. I guess this would uh, adhere to more if you're a, a hiker or a trail runner or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I find the experience to at those camps to be quite something, too. <laughs> Uh, third thing was uh, try mountain biking. I've uh, recently been trying to expand my outdoor and mountain activities. So uh, one thing I picked up last year, last fall, was uh, trying to mountain bike. And it doesn't have to be anything crazy or intense or you know downhill per se, but more like a cross-country style I found to be a lot of fun. Are you talking like a fat bike or just regular standard? Just standard, yeah. Okay. I've Mike, I've seen more and more of those uh, fat bike tracks every time I go out on the trails. Uh, I forget where I was most recently, but it was amazing to see these bikes on the glare ice trails out there. Like they must have knobs, like right metal knobs or something on these tires. Incredible. Yeah, I think you can get them studded. I really? believe. Yeah. Yeah, and even the road bikes nowadays, like they market them primarily, like if you go to buy a road bike, like they'll market them with thicker tires so that you can ride on gravel. So even not mountain biking, but even like the road bikes, they're trying to get people off the roads because it's just dangerous out there. Yeah. Um, but I would love to do that. I, I don't, Corey, do you know, have they opened up the mountain biking area behind Walmart, North Conway? Do you do you know if that's opened yet? By Peekit? Yeah, by wherever Walmart is in North Conway, I thought that they were going to build they were going to build mountain or mountain bike trails back there. I know they're currently building them. I haven't seen any openings though. Okay, yeah. hmm. okay, interesting. So um, I had to ask you this: your favorite coffee? I noticed you list coffee on your Instagram. So I'm like, okay, like Ty was a huge coffee guy. So. Uh, what is your favorite coffee? Do you have a preference? Definitely. So coffee's uh, an important thing for sure. Uh, I brought three uh, that I kind of had in my head. Uh, if I'm just at home and brewing something on my own, uh, I usually order from Uncommon Coffee Co., which is in Vermont. Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm in the back country, I'll always drink Kuju. And then if I'm out just around town in North Conway, I'll always go to Frontside. Huh. Awesome. Have you ever been to Mad River Coffee Shop down here on 49? No, I don't think I have. <sighs> yeah, if you're ever in the neighborhood coming into the valley, definitely drop off at Mad River. It's right at the exit, more or less. Top notch. Great stuff. Think they're open after this? Uh, <laughs> I probably doubt it. But <laughs> so, Corey, the... Um 
the what is it kudo you said it was when you're when you're backpacking kuju ku kuju is that like a, a are you using a coffee press or is that just like a instant coffee so kuju sells basically these uh pour over pouches which you might have heard of okay. basically it's just coffee grounds in a pour over pouch it's not instant okay so it's real grounds um and you basically just tear the top of the the pour over pouch kind of rested over your uh it has these slots that sit on your mug your your camp mug and then you just pour boiling water right over and it it, it brews for you all right i have to check that out because i i feel like i mostly use like the starbucks instant coffee when i'm doing the overnights yeah. but i feel like i'd rather support you know a smaller company Definitely. if i can so I'll check that out. Awesome. So um, your hiking experience, When? I, so it sounds like your father or your parents got you out hiking and you were pretty outdoorsy when you were younger, but at what point did you start getting like really into hiking in the White Mountains? Yeah, so uh, hiking's always been part of my life, my life to some extent. Um, like I mentioned, you know, at a pretty young age, we were out uh, winter camping, doing some hiking, and, you know, I would say it always stuck in my life at, to that extent, you know, couple times a year a few times a year that sort of thing uh it wasn't until probably like a few years after college uh went through some life changes and i really started dedicating some time to it uh that was one of my the first time that i did mount washington one of my first times coming back to the whites um and from there things just spiraled so it was probably around 2016 2017 that i really started getting back into it got it and did you were you like a list person or did you have any like particular pursuits that you went after or have you always just been more casual about like just doing hikes that you, you, you want on your own? You know, I was a list person to start. Uh, I did the, the common 48, um, kind of did that over a year or two. Uh, and then ever since, you know, I've kind of just avoided lists. Um, certainly I have a few friends that were tackling lists, whether they're redlining or completing their 48 and I would join them on some hikes, but for myself, I just always wanted to do hikes when and where I wanted and not really have any commitment or responsibility to them. Got it. And then um, you're you're doing four seasons, so you do winter hiking and, and overnights and, and, and the whole deal. Have you hiked outside of the White Mountains? Have you traveled around the world anywhere interesting? Uh, I've traveled a little bit. I wouldn't say a, a lot, um, but I've probably the most outside of New England hiked in Colorado. Okay. All right. And um, do you, with with the experience in Colorado, do you have any like sort of take? I always hear people like the West Coast people, and I have an inferiority complex about this, but like the West Coast people or Colorado people are always like, our mountains are real mountains, your mountains are we. Like, do you have any sort of perspective on that? Definitely familiar with the complex. Um, yeah. I, I would say, you know, the whites hold their own in a lot of ways. Uh, the terrain is... I've done a couple of, or a few of the 14ers out in Colorado and it's just for, for a lot of it, maybe not all of it, but there's just a, a vast difference between the type of terrain that we have here that I feel is fairly unique uh, and just how rugged it is and how, how different it is compared to out West. There's a lot of really graded trails, even for the 14ers, maybe not all of them, like I said, but a, a good chunk of them. I saw a post today on Facebook, I think, and somebody was calling the this region Dirt Hills. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, I know who that was. Oh, really? I know who that was. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Jeff. Who? Yeah. 
Do we uh, want that to was a, uh, shame yeah, them? That was Jeff. He, <laughs> he's a... Um, He's out in the. Matter of fact, we want, I want to get him on the show at some point. I got to follow up with him. But he he worked in the Grand Canyon, so he knows that. Like he he says it sort of jokingly to make fun of East Coast people. He knows we get tricked. So. <laughs> anyway, well, it works. That you saw yep. that. Yeah, exactly. But um, so Corey, with the photography, are, what can you talk a little bit about the equipment? Like I know, like I have my my friend Pete that I talk to a lot. He's a photographer as well, and he's always talking about how he's he's lugging like heavy equipment. And I think a lot of people have that perspective that like you know you've got to bring all this equipment to be um, a real photographer. And can can you talk a little bit about that? Is that true, or, or are you able to make it through um, pretty light? I would say that you don't have to be a in order to be a real photographer, you don't have to carry lots of equipment. Uh, there's a saying amongst photographers that the best equipment that you have is the one that you have with you. Um, and I find that holds true in a lot of ways. Uh, certainly equipment can do certain things and allow you to do certain things, but you can really do a lot nowadays with you know any old, even phone, which is pretty crazy to think about. Um, but... You know that that to say there there is a lot of equipment that uh, professional photographers do use, and uh, as a result, you know whether we're backpacking or day hiking or sunrise hiking, that like I like to do, uh, you are kind of ending up carrying quite a bit of extra weight. Yeah, and you're um, like protecting the equipment. Is that any is that ever an issue, or do you have enough like sort of? I guess storage and things like that with you that you don't have to worry about damaging anything. Uh, all depends on what you're getting out into. Um, you know, I, the professional cameras are usually weather sealed, not always, but usually weather sealed actually. Um, and they can function down to some pretty crazy temperatures and conditions. Mm. Um, I've actually taken my cameras out in, you know, negative 30, negative 50 and, they've functioned surprisingly which is pretty amazing the dlsr yep the dslr okay. yep. dslr okay interesting yeah when you pick your locations for for photos and again i'm i i'm a, like i take a lot of photos with my with my iphone you know i think that's probably like 99 percent of the people out there but i do feel like over the years like i've become maybe a little bit better about saying like okay yeah this is going to make a good photo um, and it's sort of like an instinct thing for me is it's sort of like, okay, and, and I'll talk a little bit more about like sort of the, the types of photos I like to take, but I'll sort of know like, okay, if, if I position myself in a certain way, like, I think that this is going to make a good photograph. Like how long does it, like, I'm assuming you must have that instinctually. Like how long did it take you to develop like the eye to say like, okay, I know where to position myself, where I'm going to, I'm going to get the perfect photo. I would say it took me quite a few years and I'm definitely still learning ways to do better. Um, you know, being a hiker and being a hiker first, I think a lot of that came to me more naturally, especially photographing things out in the back country. Um, but some people definitely just have that instinct and some people it's a lot more of a learned skill. Um, but there's definitely ways to improve it and to, even by looking at other people's work, just kind of get a, an inkling of how you can position things and how you can angle things to make a more appealing visually or visually appealing photograph. Yeah. And you do, you do a lot of like adventure photography where there's, you know, it's people doing 
outdoor activities are you do you generally like set that up where you'll 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 go out hiking with them and then like you'll ease into it and then like for me i know when i'll I'll go hiking with my niece hi addy you know she listens to the show like i'll run up ahead like i'll try to get up like 500 feet ahead and then like wait for her to walk towards me and then take some photos and, and so are you is that how you you manage it when you have models or do you have to do it a little more like scripted where you'll say like all right yeah, stay there and i'm going to walk up here and then you walk towards me and smile totally depends uh you know sometimes if i'm out on a personal hike then i'll do a little bit of what you said run on run on up ahead and just kind of get them as they're coming up or something um but if i'm on a actual photo shoot uh say taking a brand out and photographing their product uh, actually recently took out minus 33 a little shout out to them mm, uh, i know stomp you probably know them because they donate cool. to pemisar yeah um but uh if i'm photographing something like that more product photography uh, it is a little more scripted for sure giving the models a lot more direction and it's not necessarily just a completely candid sort of thing um it, it's kind of amazing to learn the behind the scenes of marketing photography is what goes into it and how much of it is is indeed staged even though a lot of companies will say they don't want things staged but it (laughs) it, it is heavily staged in order to get an actual scene And, and some of it does become candid as a result of just experiencing these things in the mountains or the outdoors but um a lot of it is scripted to to get what you're looking for at 4,000 feet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> Let's go up to Mount Washington and take some pictures over and over and over and over. <laughs> yeah. And, and Corey, for the average hiker, and, and I will say, like, if you troll, like, the Facebook groups and you look at, like, Instagram, like, and most people are just they're dealing with this, like, the iPhone or, or the Android um, cameras i mean these cameras are pretty pretty solid as far as like being able to get good photography but i have like i probably have like i would say my two or three things that i like to take pictures of is like when i when i get into like um river crossings or stream crossings like if there's a good up and down angle like i love to get like right on the stream and then get like a as far as i can up like a directional photo of like a waterfall, like small waterfalls and, and things like that. I always like to take those types of pictures. I love anything with an undercast. And then, like I said, like if I'm with other hikers, I'm usually the one that's like running up ahead. And I'll say, I want to get a bunch of photos of, of everyone hiking, especially when I go hiking with my asshole friend, Tom, who never takes pictures and has an iPhone five. <laughs> um, but like, can nice. you talk a little bit about like, um, what are some like just really basic like approaches to get like really cool photos for the basic hiker that's out there with an iPhone? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, as we've already covered, it's amazing what you can do with technology these days. You know, even simple phones can do so much with photos nowadays. It's, it's just mind blowing. Uh, and that's where a, a lot of nowadays, everyone's a photographer you hear. Um, and, with iPhones and Androids, uh, you know, there's functions even like uh, changing your format to a raw photo, uh, which you'll hear amongst the photography community quite a bit. Uh, raw photos are basically a larger style format uh, image, and that allows you to basically do a lot more in post-production. But even fo- iPhones and cameras are doing that nowadays, which is pretty incredible. Um 
But one thing I would definitely recommend to people who are just, you know, dabbling in it or just getting into it is really pay attention to framing uh, because visually what's telling the story is the frame of the image. Uh, so you can't go wrong with adding framing into an image to visually and naturally draw the eye into the image, whether that be, you know, trees as you're exiting the, Alp, uh, the Alpine trees kind of framing your shot towards the undercast. Mike, you talked about an undercast, um, something to give it a little bit more context and draw the, the eye in. Uh, that's basically what I would recommend people to look for. It, it just tells a lot more of a story. Okay. And do you have like a particular, are there particular regions of the whites that you feel like are just like better for photography for you? Or can you just make, can you make something magical anywhere? <laughs> uh, I would answer that with the Prezies. I mean, I think you guys, you guys both have hiked or all of you have hiked the Prezies probably before. Um, I mean, there's nothing like them in the, in this region. The Prezies are, are really quite something. So Visually, uh, the Prezies are always kind of my go-to, and uh, I probably share too much of them on my social media. But um, it, I mean, a lot of it is conditions too. Um, you know, this time of year with the snow melting and the mud coming out, it can be kind of hard to make a, a nice image. But uh, truly, I, I think if you are going out with good intention and some good conditions. Uh, Time of day wise, I think that, you know, if you're dealing with sunrise or sunset, those are more optimal in terms of finding better light. That's going to give you kind of the best photo. Um, but yeah. Awesome. All right, Stomp. You had some notes here about um, just talking about creative work. So I personally, like Corey, I've never considered myself a creative person, but I sort of, Stomp was the one that sort of like hit me over the head and was like, you know, a podcast is, is a creative form, I guess, even though I'm just talking about dumb, you know, probably half my questions are dumb, but um, Stomp wanted to talk a little bit about the creative work that you do. Um, and then like, did you have any inspiration? So he's got a couple, I don't know, Stomp, you, you, you know these folks more than I do. I'm just not not as creative as you. Yeah, I was curious if you had any inspirations or people that are uh, not so much mentoring, but just like you look at their work and go, oh, that's really cool. They're giving you ideas or any locals. I had a couple down, but I'll see if you have any. Yeah. Uh, in terms of locals, um, uh, not fair number of my friends are, are photographers and I'll give them a little bit of a shout out here because they've definitely helped awesome. me along the way, uh, in terms of learning photography. Um, one was Sterling Brooks. Uh, he's one of the first people I ever met up with hiking in this region, um, over social media. Uh, him and I became quite good friends and he, he had been a longtime photographer and sort of gave me a lot of tips along the way in my journey. Uh, so I owe a lot of my kind of my learning and my style to, to learning from him. Um, but also several other friends that I look for, uh, look up to, uh, Brent Dosher, Kate Bergalt, uh, Alexandra Roberts, all are some incredible photographers in various fields of photography that I, I look up to in some way, shape or form uh, have been a huge help. How about um, some of the more celebrity figures? Any celebrity photographers that have inspired you? I don't know if you would call them celebrities, but uh, I guess more bigger picture or, or internationally. Um, there's a few names that I'll, I'll mention, uh, and I'll probably butcher the names, but Andy Cochrane, 
Uh, he's based out west and a big time outdoor commercial photographer that I look up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will Saunders and Ben Matthews. And back to your point, Mike, uh, the, the creative process is something that we touch upon here and there. And it's just, it seems to transcend all the genres of creativity, whether you're making a podcast or making an audio production or crafting a new brew or, you know, framing a new picture. It's just pretty neat. Yeah. And I think, Corey, the, I guess one question I do have is like when you're a professional photographer and honestly, like sometimes I, this creeps in with me a little bit just with the hiking stuff, but like, do you ever get to the point where, because it is a job, like how do you maintain the passion? Do you, do you strictly do your photography like with commercial gigs at this point, or are you still going out and, and taking photos when you're doing hikes on your own? Yeah, so that's a, a sort of a huge topic for discussion uh, amongst photographers is finding the right balance between work as well as kind of maintaining some amount of being present and uh, having some, I guess, inspiration left to do it yourself uh, personally. Um I find now that I am doing full-time freelance to struggle a little bit with finding that inspiration, that motivation to still do, I guess, personal, uh, I guess, photo shoots or personal kind of seek out different opportunities for photographs myself. Um, And I think that struggle, I'm still learning how to cope with it or how to to balance it or how to maneuver it. one way, and I think we'll probably talk about this later, is kind of setting up myself with different projects to to really run down or cha- challenge myself to, to find. Uh, so not just, you know, go do a sunrise hike and take photos. You know, certainly that can be inspiring in its own way, and I will always love that. Um, but really challenging myself with a, a set goal for certain style photographs or telling a certain story. Yeah, and I would think like going out hiking and the, like not bringing your, your equipment and stuff like that. If you saw something that was, was like really good, that you you could have taken a photo, like it would probably motivate you a little bit to be like, oh man, next I got to get back there and, and and get another bite of the apple there. Forever. I mean, I'll always be kicking myself if I don't end up bringing my camera somewhere. That's just how it yeah. goes. But at some point, you do kind of have to separate yourself when it's your work. You kind of have to take time off to to really breathe and reset. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, do you with the, with the the backpacking and, and overnight stuff that you do? Do you do like you, will you go out for like three or four nights, or is it usually just like one night? Or do you do any any sort of long hiking? I'm a, usually a a one to two night kind of guy for for backpacking. Uh, I'm a very much a creature comfort kind of person, so I, I like coming back to them and and you know having the experience, but then coming back and getting all the breakfast and coffee in me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm the same yeah. way. It's like, you know, one or two nights, you know, I'll, I'll hit like, you know, one of the cabins and then or stay out in the, the tent for one night, and then I'm I want to get to North. I want to get to the Moat Mountain and have some burgers or something. Right. <laughs> so, awesome. So, uh, can you talk a little bit about? So you you've done some work for um, you know a number of commercial customers. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the work you've done commercially and, and some of the, the companies that you've partnered with? Yeah. Uh, so I've kind of talked a little bit about how I am a outdoor product commercial photographer. Um, so a lot of that is, you know, taking outdoor brands out into the backcountry, showing what they're used for, showing their purpose and basically creating marketing materials 
Uh, I talked a little bit about uh, Minus 33. Uh, they're a local New Hampshire merino wool company based in Ashland, New Hampshire. Uh, I've actually gotten set up with them and done a little bit of work with them for a couple of years now, which is pretty exciting. Um, just this winter, I had a great opportunity to photograph um, some winter assets for Catula, which if you're a winter hiker, you've probably heard of Catula. Uh, so I photographed their micro spikes, their nano spikes, and their exo spikes over a variety of different activities. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, went out several times, just different occasions, some winter overnight kind of style things. Uh, some day hiking, some trail running, and then kind of road running in between. Huh. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. And those are the kind of shoots that are a little bit more scripted, uh, kind of taking it very slowly, not necessarily huge focus on the activity when we're out there, uh, still doing it, but really kind of honing in on you know certain sections of the trail or certain parts of the experience that will make a good story for the photograph. And then you'll you'll take a bunch of photos and then you just sort of hand those off to the client and the marketing team will sort of pick through and, and figure out what they want to use for their campaigns. And you don't have a lot of say in, in what they end up choosing eventually, right? You, they just, you just need to give them a bunch of options. It varies, uh, to be honest, all on the client. Um, some clients are pretty hands off and they'll be like, you know, we want 30 photos of, of this activity or this product. And you can just go ahead and select them, use your best creative judgment, and we'll be happy kind of thing. And that includes editing. So you're editing and then the client's not really editing. Uh, It varies there, too. Uh, Some clients will want exclusive rights and raw images, and they pay a lot more for that. Um, And as a result, it's pretty hands-off editing-wise. You kind of just take the photos and deliver. Um, But more times than not, it's clients will buy like a non-exclusive license and you're heavily involved with the editing. You're putting your style and your personal touch on it. Um, And that will be more, I guess, heavily involved where you're first doing like a batch of culling and narrowing down the images that you took because a lot of the images you took might be doubles, blinks, bad faces, missed focuses, you know, poor light exposure, things like that. So it comes back to the creative process. Like, you must do this, Steve, with your brews, right? You're, you're always refining and editing your brews. Oh, See yeah. what I mean? It's like audio production, same thing. It's the creative process. Is a, it's, it's through every every uh medium totally. very cool yeah it totally is um so some clients will be much more involved and they'll have you kind of call that first batch of photos but then deliver kind of first selects or initial selects and from there they'll select the number that they're going to license and have you put like final edits on it uh for for delivery it's really neat it is. Now, Corey, the, um, so you, you are a search and rescue volunteer. Can you talk a little bit about your perspective, like how you, you know, how you became aware of, you know, sort of the need for search and rescue and then your own sort of personal approach to safety on the trail? Yeah. So, I mean, definitely in my own hiking, I became aware, uh, you know, with little even slips and falls, you just you know, slip up and make a a slight like mistake on the trail while hiking. And you realize that, Oh, well, you know that I gotta be careful. That could have turned into something a whole lot more. Um, so personally, you know, it's it's easy to do. We all have kind of tripped up on trail or something like that. 
and maybe almost taking a tumble or something like that. Um, and that can turn into a whole lot more and you just have to be a little bit more aware of your surroundings and aware of your footing. Um, for me, it started way back when I was living in Massachusetts and driving up here though. Um, I was kind of on the trajectory to try and live up here and I became aware as I was hiking more uh, and especially more into the four seasons, um, how important safety is. Uh, I talked a lot about it with friends that I was out on hikes with and just, you know, the more we were setting ourselves to do some of these crazy hikes, we were just thinking of all the, the ways that could go wrong. Uh, one, and I've talked a little bit about this, but one of the things that we did a lot uh, back in the day when I was living in Massachusetts was sunrise hiking. And hiking into the night to start, there's always a lot more, I guess, chance of risk, you know, colder temperatures possibly, uh, losing your way, things like that. Um, and so it just kind of trained my, my, my way of thinking into how to be more prepared, uh, thinking how I can be more prepared. Uh, and from there just kind of went and I, once I moved up here, I was looking for ways to get more involved in the community. Um, had a few friends, as I mentioned on search and rescue teams, asked them a little bit about it and figured why not, you know, I can give back to this community, uh, with my time, a little bit of my effort. Um, and I spend so much time on trails as it is. So might as well give back to that specific community. Yeah. And it is so true. Like you'll, um, I just think about that all the time when I'm solo hiking, like I'll be two, three miles in on the great Gulf. And then all of a sudden, like you just roll your ankle and you're like, Oh, that really hurts. And then you sit there for like, it's that five second period where you sit there and you go, okay, is this really bad? Or is this just going to be a, is this just sort of a little tweak? And then, you know, all the, it's like five seconds, but you go through, it goes through your head and you're like, you know, I could be really screwed here. Okay. It's okay. I'm fine. But I, now I need to pay attention. Like no matter how many years you do this hiking stuff, like that, that sort of twisted ankle thing always happens. Right. It can happen to anyone. I mean, I think we've all been there as, as hikers. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Now, are you uh, obviously with the photography stuff? Like you're, you're you're used to carrying heavy stuff, but when you're not bringing your equipment, are you uh, a light and fast person, or do you tend to just um, pack a little heavier for for safety, with the idea that like you might run into someone that's in trouble on the trails? It depends on what I'm doing. Um, overall, I try to have that mindset of always having some sort of backup plan and a little bit of extra equipment to make sure I'm staying safe. Um, Especially in three season, I, t- I try to, I guess, do a little bit more of the light and fast. I am a trail runner uh, at times, too. So uh, I'm very much about the vest life in the three seasons. Uh, mm-hmm. And as a result, you do carry less. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That matter of fact, when I did the bell naps this weekend, like one of the one of the other reasons why I wanted to like do that was I was just sick of carrying like the, the heavier pack. And it was so nice to get the uh, the fast pack on and just, you know, have a, like lighter pack. It felt like so much better than the, the heavier stuff that I've been carrying all winter. So it is it is oh, nice this sure. time of the year. Yeah, for sure. It's just a huge difference. But, uh, you know, winter hikes, I, I, I try to err on the side of carrying more weight i think it especially for winter it's just that much more of a priority and something that you should think about i just emptied out my truck um over the weekend <laughs> i have all my winter stuff ready to go in my truck and it took me probably like three hours to clean out all my winter stuff i still have it in my pack but i got rid of all the boxes and crazy stuff it's quite a transition yeah yeah 
Take it for awesome. a nice car wash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, it's not quite warm enough yet, but I will yeah, do that man. for sure. <laughs> um, but Corey, I'll, I will definitely share your um, your your personal website as well as your Instagram info on the the show notes so that people can take a look at some of your work. And it's really cool. Like I, I love the adventure photography and just like you know what I love the best about it is sort of like trying to figure out like okay, where are they? Like if you look through, so if the listeners are interested, like you go to his his Instagram site and you can kind of figure out like, okay, he's here or, the, you know, you you can kind of play that Wiz Waldo's sort of game on, on his photography, but it's really cool. You're all yeah. over the whites. It's great. Your, your recent Welch Dickey really um, blew me away. I, I knew you put a lot of thought into that because, you know, it's... you. They're so obvious, but some of your shots of that recent hike you did up there were just awesome. I had to look like, oh my God, I know that from somewhere. Like, it's right here. <laughs> yeah. Nice I, work. I, I love playing that game as well, uh, especially as a photographer. You're always looking for, you yeah. know, new, new locations to scout and new locations to possibly take photographs at. Um, and as a result, you know, location is everything. Uh, that's also another thing that really tells the story is where you are and you know, how you got there. Um, Stomp, were you going to say something? Well, <laughs> like, you know, connecting to that, that concept of finding uh, cool new things to do, what are your to-be-avoided cliches? Like, here's one, and I'm, I'll probably put my foot in it for saying this, but the Mount Willard train tracks. Mm-hmm. Like, Stomp, how many times I love that photo. Gonna, I know that, but how many times... Well, how how can you make that fresh? You know, otherwise mm-hmm. you're just like, oh, there's the train tracks again. <laughs> I don't know. Are there any other taboos in the whites that you try to avoid? Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, there's there's tons of photos that I, I think we've all taken as photographers, at least locally here in the whites that, you know, we might have all visited. Uh, but to maintain fresh or rather kind of have your own style or your own creative touch on an image i think it's important to to look beyond what has been done uh, so to speak um and that's something i mean i don't tend to do a lot of the i guess just drive around take pictures kind of photography so a lot of what i do i try to just look for what appeals to me on trail um and that could turn out to be something that's already been taken a picture of. I'm sure yeah. I have no doubt, you know, you hike up in the prezies and I think we've all taken a picture of, you know, the lakes of the clouds hut or <laughs> the observatory. So right. there's some amount of redundancy bound to be hap- be happening. Um, but the whites are also unique in so many ways. And one of them is conditions. Uh, and I think that in itself is a huge way to focus your, your, your photography is just looking at the conditions that that occur every, every single day. Yeah. Um, a lot of changing weather, a lot of extreme conditions, especially in winter too. Um, and I think that's a, a great way to even uh, focus on it, is it with photography is just focus on the conditions. Yeah, and Steve, Reckless seems to be the type of organization that goes out of their way to avoid the cliché. Would you say that? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Philip, who does most of our marketing and photography, he's he's great. Well, even with um, your brews. Oh, totally. Say. Yeah, that as well. That yeah. as well. Um, but if I could weigh in real fast on the photo cliches, I'd like to see. Um, I'd like to see an end to the artist bluff photos. 
<laughs> all, over, all over social media. I see, you know, end. people like, oh, I'm a hiker. Oh, yeah, yeah. Photo from Artist <laughs> Bluff. It's so accessible. You know, mm-hmm. you know what the best photo in the white... So I'm going to give the listeners... So I give the listeners the best photo in the whites. All right. So you, you could be... <laughs> A complete. You could be stomp and still take a good photo of this <laughs> this area. So, and I think you guys are going to agree with me. So, if you want to get the best photo in the whites, in my opinion, obviously you got to wait for a decent day. But if you get a nice bluebird day, the one photo that I recommend everybody gets is on Mount Adams. Go hike Mount Adams. Take airline. Whatever you want to do. Go down Star Star Lake Trail, and then when you get to you know, you you get down to the junction where Star Lake is and it looks out over into that perfect sort of pyramid of Madison. That's the photo right there is you get the, the Star Lake and then you get that perfect pyramid photo of um, of Mount Madison. And in my opinion, that's probably the coolest photo that you can take in the whites. In your opinion. In my, stomp, that was what you were supposed to say, Mike. You're 100% right. <laughs> that's beautiful. So. That's wicked yeah. funny. My yeah. favorite is actually um, not trail related, but coming down Cog Base Camp Road towards Mount Washington. That blows me away every single time I see that. So you take a left at Fabian's and yep. drive down. It's like right there. Like, holy moly. It's quite overwhelming. In fact, I've, I've been there on yeah. base, it's base Station Road. Right. Um, and you just kind of drive up a little bit of that, that hill and you just see it. And that whole drive actually down base camp or sorry, base station road is just stunning. I mean, you get yeah. little pockets of seeing, you know, Eisenhower and Jefferson and it's just yeah, stunning. Amazing. Moose, yeah. if you're lucky. I've seen plenty of moose down that road. <laughs> yeah. So Corey, true. what, uh, what upcoming projects do you have? What do you got coming up? Yeah. Uh, so personally, uh, right now I'm actually trying to motivate myself enough to start up a little spring project, which is uh, telling a little bit of the story of how people have gotten into the outdoors. Um, I've focused that for myself for a long time now, um, just because I, th- I find it so important. You know, I went through some challenges in life and then upon that, you know, it brought me to coming back to the outdoors. And as a result, I want to be able to tell that story for some other people I know of even just in my small circle, plenty of, you know, really meaningful stories of how people have found the outdoors. And I think that's just an excellent opportunity to uh, not only take some portraits of people, meet some new people, make some connections, but also tell some of those stories. Um, I think there's a lot to be said of what can be written alongside photographs. Um, I think there's a, a great connection that can be made there. Awesome. That is uh, very cool. And as you're talking, I am just sort of flipping through your Instagram photos here. <laughs> and one of the other things I, I do like about, you know, especially the adventure photography, and we've talked about this a bunch of times, but like, I feel like sometimes with the sort of the, the mainstream outdoor media, backpacking and outside or whatever they tend to like really gravitate towards the extreme athletes that are doing like really cool stuff that's great but i personally i always find that the people that are you know not necessarily like breaking fastest records or all that stuff like the regular people that are out there that are taking you know time out of the weekend getting up at three in the morning and driving two hours to get to the 
the trail or like making a life change, though that to me is always more interesting and inspiring than just listening to someone that's going to be breaking another record. That's very cool and I respect it, but I think one of the things that comes out when I scroll through some of your photos is that, you know, there's really cool stories and it's not necessarily just people that are out there breaking records, but they're doing it because they love it. Absolutely. I, you know, I agree with you, Mike. There's a lot of interesting and amazing stories in the ordinary, uh, ordinary people. I myself am just another hiker of the whites. And I think uh, just like myself, there's plenty of people like me that, you know, have found their way outside. And, you know, there's some amazing photos that you can take of, you know, just those people enjoying the outside, you know, out for a hike, sunrise hike, backpacking, you know, backpacking all these cool places that some of us might have been before. I think there's some some really neat stories to tell there. Well, we we appreciate you coming in, and um, I think I've run through all my questions. Stop. You got anything else for Corey? Yeah. How do you capture that elusive moon picture? Ooh, <laughs> I've well, tried a hundred times, but which, which moon picture? But <laughs> <laughs> good good question uh that's actually really funny because i gotta tell you a backstory on that cheswick trex uh thing we talked about mooning the cog wasn't it mooning the cog yes and this whole section of conversation just disappeared on us so nobody got to hear that but we had this amazing conversation about mooning you know whatever Damn. he was a very interesting guest he was super cool but the other moon you know the one that rises that that bright circle oh the sun <laughs> no the the moon <laughs> like i've tried to capture a full moon mm-hmm. or it always looks terrible on a regular phone do you really how do you do it well uh, i mean there's definitely some tips and tricks that can allow you to to capture a little more detail of the moon it's it is really challenging because the moon puts off so much light yeah um and as it's rising, you know, you're also dealing with potential cloud coverage. Um, you can increase your f-stop, allow more detail. Uh, but a lot of people that are capturing moon is usually using a, a longer zoom lens to get in a little bit closer to the moon, mm. getting a little bit more detail with the f-stop being a little bit higher and really capturing some of that. But uh, long exposures are definitely the, the name of the game there interesting yeah so uh, some of the new phones providing capability to capture better pictures of the moon yeah i mean nowadays with uh, android and iphones um, you can take not only like raw images but you can also do long exposures which is insane that's really cool <laughs> even handheld i mean you can do long exposures it's pretty crazy yeah, there's definitely nothing more disappointing than like you see an awesome like moonlight, you know, moon, and then you take a photo and it looks huge, and then you take a photo and it's like, it looks horrible. <laughs> like, How do they do like that? Little, yeah, like a little sunspot glare or something. Like, what is that? It? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That green dot. Oh, that's a good question. How the hell do you get rid of that little green dot when you're taking sun sun pictures? <laughs> oh, the flares. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not even. Well, sun flares are pretty cool looking. But it's just that little pinpoint green little. Right. Mm. <laughs> I mean, a lot of it is the angle, you know, the angle at which you take the picture. Sometimes you'll get a green dot on the image. Sometimes you won't. But the other so trick funny. is just post-production. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. yeah. Take yeah. it out. 
<laughs> awesome. Well, so thank you so much, Corey. And like I said, we will link all of your uh, info on the show notes. And then um, we'll also, on some of our social media, we'll make sure that we, we highlight it so that the audience can take a look at, at your work. And it's it's really good. I personally, like I, I spent like an hour trying to like pick out where, where some of these photos were. So if you get some time to kill, it will keep you busy. <laughs> That's for sure. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, you bet. No problem. And I hope EMS was listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully EMS. EMS is listening. So, um, hire Corey and then send us free stuff. So, <laughs> let's dive into some White Mountains history, shall we? So, Stomp, next segment here is a little bit of White Mountains history. I wasn't even planning on doing this, but um, we were in the creative mode when we were talking about um, planning for the show. And coincidentally, I went to visit my daughter, and she goes to college in Worcester, so my wife and I went out to sort of extend the birthday weekend, and we went to the Worcester Art Museum, which I would highly recommend anybody to go to. I don't know, Stephen or Corey, have you been to the Worcester Art Museum? Can't say I have. Yeah, my fiance is from the Worcester area. I've been to the Worcester Art Museum. Love it there. Yeah, yeah. I would highly recommend it. It's really cool there. Um, so I went and, you know, I'm not a big, like, I, I think I've gone to, like, you know, I've gone to a couple of art museums over the years, but I'm definitely not a big um, participant. So we went through and it's it's got a bunch of different rooms and you go in. And I think the first couple of rooms were tied to, like, um, some Japanese art and there was some ancient Aztec art in there, which was cool, but I was like less interested. Um, then I started going through these rooms where there was like um, some early 1600s um, artists from like Denmark and the Netherlands, which was kind of interesting. And then I moved into another section that was um, more like 1700s and 1800s and it was um, portrait art. So um, I think a lot of the like sort of rich people of the day, they would commission artists to uh, to do paintings. And I'm always thinking in terms of like, okay, if these folks are like early pioneers, is there any connection to the White Mountains that can be made? So I'm kind of looking through and I look through probably dozens of, you know, that these the, the, the portraits are, you know, from the 1700s, 1800s, and then they have like the little placards to sort of give the information behind them. And like, there's nothing there. I'm like looking and I'm like, there's got to be like some connection to the White Mountains. And sure enough, I'll post a picture of the, the portrait, but I come walking up on a portrait of these two young twins. They're probably about seven or eight years old, um, Sarah and Ann Hayden. And they were, um, I forget the name of the artist that, that drew them, but like they were from a rich family. Obviously, the family had enough money to pay an artist to draw a portrait of Sarah and Ann Hayden. And um, I think the portrait was drawn in 1795. And... Um, the details on the portrait were talking about how, you know, it was twins, Sarah and Ann Hayden. And then there was sort of this mention to say like the photo, the portrait was drawn in um, the UK. And then the, the, one of the, one of the sisters, Ann Hayden, they had indicated that she had um, eventually grown up and married a gentleman by the name of Kurt Boot. And it was spelled the same way as Bootspur. So I was like, well, that's interesting. And um, they said that she sort of came came over to the U.S. Um, 
when she got older. So I was like, that's got to be a connection. So I like immediately go on my phone and I'm like Kirk Boot. And there was no connection to Bootspur, but it turns out I started doing some research after I got back. And it turns out that Ann Hayden had married Kirk Boot. Kirk Boot Sr. had moved into uh, Massachusetts and he was one of the original founders of Lowell. So he was like one of these um, mill, mill guys that like started Lowell, Massachusetts. And um, turns out that Kirk Sr. had six or eight kids. One of them was Kirk Jr., who Ann Hayden married. Kirk Jr. had a brother. The brother's name was Francis Boot. Francis Boot was who Bootspur is named after. So I thought that was pretty interesting. The way that Kirk Boot or the way that Francis Boot was named after the Bootspur is that he was a participant in the Bigelow Expedition in 1816. So the Boot family, obviously the father moved over from the UK. The son ended up meeting Ann Hayden. They got married, had their own family. The brother was um, Francis Boot. He was like a botanist and a doctor that was educated at Harvard. He connected with this Bigelow guy, and they both went up to the White Mountains. So Francis Boot actually, in the summer of 1816, this guy, he went to Wachusett. Then he went to Monadnock. Then he made his way up to Musilaki. Then he connected with Bigelow. Bigelow was on his way up with four or five other guys. They were doing um, an, a, like a sort of a, a scientific expedition to get all of the uh, botany they they basically categorized all of the plants in the White Mountains. And over the course of the expedition, they got they climbed uh, Chikora. They made their way up Carter Notch. And then they made their way up to Adams and Madison. Eventually, um, up to Mount Washington, they followed the same path that like Darby Field made it up along like Davis Path. And, and eventually, like... Um, they went Bootspur up to Mount Washington, and then I think that they they hit one other region. I can't remember. Maybe it was like into Crawford Notch, but the whole purpose of their expedition was that they were doctors and they were also botanists, so they were looking for medicinal plants that might be able to be used to sort of you know help people. But as part of the expedition, they also partnered with like um, they they knew like the guy Bond who had done all the mapping in the White Mountains. So they must have all been friends. And it would sort of be like the four of us saying like, okay, we're going to draw a map. And they originally, I think Bootspur was named like Davis something or other. And they must have like four or five years later when this Bond guy made the maps, they must have all known each other from Harvard or whatever. And they named it Bootspur. But I thought it was pretty interesting. Like there's a whole bunch of like um, firsthand accounts from Jacob Bigelow about his experiences and his adventures in 1816. So he describes like what Carter Notch looked like. He describes climbing Madison and Adams and how he approached it. He talks about um, Mount Shakura and how they approached that. And it's it's really interesting. So I'll link all the no, all the um, the info of the expedition on the show notes, and people can read it. Like he basically Bigelow wrote a bunch of books, and one of them was. Um, Actually, in the New England Journal of Medicine, he was accounting about all the the different plants and in, in his experience. So it's pretty cool. Any connection to um, Tom Field Willie Field? 
So interestingly enough, when I was poking through, so they didn't hit Willie, Tom, and Field, but when I was poking through the art museum, there was another portrait of a guy with the last name Field um, that was from like the 1800s, and I was looking him up to see if there was any connection to Darby Field, but there there was nothing that I could find. Um, hmm. But I did do some reference to... Um, I was I was poking through some of the books, and one of the things I did pick up on is Nash Stream Forest. You, you know yep. that that area. Oh, sure. There was a hunter around that time with the last name Nash, and he was uh, he came in. The problem with the White Mountains is that because because it was so difficult to get through the middle of it, any anybody that traveled in this area, obviously they had to look out for Native Americans because that was an issue, but they had to go either all the way to the east to go around the White Mountains or all the way to the west. So for like years up until the early 1800s, they would they would go around it either east or west. And this guy, Nash, he was the one that was like, okay, there's got to be a better way to get through this. And he came in from the north. He, he, had, he had avoided like going right through the middle of the White Mountains. He came from the north climbed up Cherry Mountain. Remember we hiked Cherry Mountain and Mount Martha? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Love those hikes. What can you see? What can you see when you look on the peak of Mount Martha? You see a straight shot right down Crawford Notch, right? Yes. Yep. Gotcha. That's where he went. He, He climbed Cherry Mountain and he was like, there's a straight shot. We can make it through there. And that was what, in the late 1700s, he brought that information back to all these guys that were like, you know, at Harvard. And he was like, there's a way through. We just need to make it through. And that's where all these expeditions started coming up and trying to figure out how to get through the middle of the mountains. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. Thinking about that, crossing those rivers and whatnot. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Pretty interesting. So if you want to do some research, just do, you know, Google like Dr. Jacob Bigelow, 1816 expedition. And you can see like they they categorize like all of these plants that exist in the White Mountains. They brought back a lot of um, plants to, to see if there was, you know, medicinal, medicinal purposes. And then they ended up like naming a bunch of these peaks after some of the people that were on the expedition. Nice job, Mike. So... Anyway, that was a day at the the Worcester Art Museum. <laughs> Turned into a rabbit hole for me. <laughs> yeah, you came back with the goods. You really got the receipts. Work. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, definitely. The other one one other interesting thing about this guy Bigelow. So he was um, he was like concerned about the way that people were buried back then. So he I think he died in like the 1860s or whatever. So he was like, we can't keep burying people. They're, all of their like dead body juice is going to seep into the water that you're drinking. Like, there's no good, right? So they didn't use coffins or anything <laughs> back then. They juice. just like buried people in burlap, <laughs> right? So he was like, yeah, we can't do that. So he was the one that advocated for this idea of rural cemeteries where you would set it back from your water sources. And the first cemetery that was set up like that was what's called Mount Auburn Cemetery. So if you've if you've ever been to Cambridge, like my, my I think my grandmother's buried there and my grandfather's buried there. Anybody that has family from Cambridge has people that are buried in Mount Auburn. Hmm. Doctor Bigelow was the guy that was like, "This is the way that you need to set up cemeteries." So every town in the New England area that has a cemetery like that can thank this guy Bigelow, and he's buried there. If you want to go find him. Aren't those like green burials making a big comeback? 
So anyway, Stomp just walked away. So we'll we'll take a little pause here. <laughs> Too much air. What what are you doing, Stomp? I was on a roll. Does he walk away you from guys, often? You guys waiting for me? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the deal. It was getting cold, so I turned the heat on. Okay. And then I was getting incredibly hot because I'm right in front of the damn thing. Okay. So I had to shut it off. All right. I'm well, back. That, I, I finished what my segment. What if I vaporized? So you're going to have to edit that. You're going to have to edit that dead air. <laughs> I might not, just for the humor of it. <laughs> Put like a secondhand sound. Yeah, anyway, but uh, but that's everything that you ever want to know about um, the Bigelow and Boot Expedition. Love it. Thank you, Mike. That was really good. All right. Um, next segment is recent search and rescue news. Do you want to uh, you want to take us through the first three story stop, and then I'll I'll do the last ones. Well, I'm not too sure with this update, but. Um Update on the guy who organized a hundred person hike in the Grand Canyon last year. Oh yeah. I can do that one. So Yeah. Um I remember so, but Yeah, so this is an update on a story that we did like a ton of episodes before, but basically during COVID, like there was restrictions. I think there's just restrictions on group size at in the Grand Canyon regardless. But about eighteen months ago, this guy, um, I think he was from Oregon or something, he organized a group to go hike the Grand Canyon and he started like a, a social media group and he got like hundreds of people that were interested in going and the forest service for the Grand Canyon caught wind of it and they they reached out and said like hey you can't have like big groups like that so this guy being the not bright person that he is he decided he was like well we'll all just go but we'll just split up into smaller groups and then we won't be a group of 140 people. So it turns out they all got together and it was a big party and the Forest Service like just basically cracked down on them before I think they even started hiking and then kicked them all out. And because this guy was the group leader, he got charged and fined. And now like that made its way through court and the decision is, is that he is um, no longer allowed to go to the Grand Canyon ever again. <laughs> Was he profiting on this? He said he wasn't. Like, I think he was like, uh, he, he. I don't think he was profiting. He w- There was a charge, but it was, he was just like organizing it like to break even. Okay. <laughs> I think he just was like, I think he just wanted a party and he just got a little out of control. Oh, man. He, but he was probably doing it for girls. I'm sure he was doing it to meet girls. It sounds like something that you do to meet girls. Sure. Hey, hell, hell yeah. I mean, not me, but you. Yeah. <laughs> now, what's the limit? What's like the etiquette in the whites for group size? You guys know? I think it's nine. Nine? I want to say around there, too. I think in the whites, there's no rule for group size in um, regions where there's no four, uh, where there's not wilderness, but wilderness, it's 10 or less. Mm. I think from a rules perspective, like just common sense, like, I think you should probably stick to 10 or less regardless. And honestly, like who wants to hike with more than like three or four people anyway? Oh yeah, absolutely. The inherent risk of having one of those people get in trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Exponentially increases. Yeah. But Hey, did you hear about this dude in Montana? I did. Yeah. It's my biggest, my biggest nightmare. 
Yeah, the first time I saw the story, it it was speculation that uh, this man was attacked by a grizzly, but now it's confirmed, apparently. The story is, missing hiker was killed by grizzly bear in Montana, and the story is dated March 27th, but a hiker was missing, and um, apparently he was a Montana resident. He'd gone out hiking with a friend the day before, possibly to hunt for antlers, um, never showed up at the designated meeting spot after the fact, and they put out a search beginning Wednesday night. Teams on the ground, helicopters were putting their efforts on Six Mile Creek, which I'm not familiar with, but it's north of Yellowstone National Park, apparently. They split up sometime that evening. When the other man returned to their vehicle and his friend wasn't there, he called us and we began searching. Long story short, they determined that he was attacked uh, by a grizzly. Yeah. He had moved from his native Massachusetts more than two decades ago to Montana. Isn't that that's a dream, huh? Oh, holy yeah. moly. If you're willing to risk the uh, grizzlies, I guess. Interesting story. This, this sort of uh, prompted a, a little brief discussion with Mike and I about, um, this is sort of fun if you want to do this. Type in hiker punches bear and see what pops up on Google. It's actually amazing. There's, there's many stories of people punching bears in the nose because that is their most sensitive uh, organ, apparently, because they have such incredible gift of scent so if you can nail him in the nose mike if this ever happens to you you're good to go i don't know <laughs> i guess Corey and steve i'd be interested to get your perspective on this but i've always sort of thought about like i i honestly when i'm and i hike solo a lot and i actually think about like what am i going to do if a bear runs into me you know if i run into a bear and my thought has always been like if i ever got into a bear like obviously i'm going to say hey bear and they're going to run away hopefully but if I ever got the, to the point where a beer was like, you know, sort of getting close to me, I always feel like, I, and again, I don't have beer spray with me. I'm not carrying it, but I feel like I'm just going to throw food at them and hope that they're going to worry about the, they're going to go after the food and not me, right? It's probably a good strategy. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> In the whites, at least, I find most bears to be pretty humanized that kind of like dogs i mean you just look at them they look at you and then they wander off yeah yeah the only time i would agree the only time i've ever seen bear in the woods is they kick up a bunch of dirt and i can hear them because they turn to you know run away it's the only reason i notice them yeah yep you catch catch a little glimpse as they run off there are a couple around here the ones that open our car doors Oh, my goodness, yeah. And then I think it's the same one that goes down to the Mad River uh, Tavern and just dives into their uh, dumpsters and whatnot, and they're very domestic. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you have people surrounding them trying to take pictures within 10 feet. Not good, but... I'm not a boxer, but I hope that if I was ever <laughs> toe to with a bear, I'd, I'd, I'd be brave enough to punch it, yeah. Yeah? If that's your last option, then heck yeah. So the next story is... I don't know. I don't know what to make of this one, but the headline is Hiker, 25, found dead in Washington, believed to have been under the influence of mushrooms. Sort of sad. 25-year-old New Jersey woman was found dead last week after going hiking in Washington State. Uh, She got separated from a friend while hiking on Wallace Falls Trail in Gold Bar on March 18th. Um, initial attempts to find her were unsuccessful. 
early that morning, Saturday morning, searches returned to the location and did finally locate uh, this young woman. So she was under the influence, and it appears to be accidental. Cause and matter of death will be determined. So I don't know. What do you guys take think about that? <laughs> Doing illicit drugs while you guess you guys agree with that? Do you think that's a good idea? <laughs> Stop. Have you done have you done shrooms? Like I, oh, I, hell no. I took shrooms no. in college one time, but I think like I think that somebody might have just like given me stop and shop <laughs> mushrooms and took my money because like nothing happened. So I, I don't really know. Like No, no, I've you haven't done shrooms, no. No. Uh, I mean, I will take like a summit brew up or whatever, but uh, I mean, as a kid, sure. But now that I'm older, just like, it's just so damn risky. But no, no, not shrooms. I mean, what happens? I mean, you're, are you hallucinating or? I don't know. I don't know. Apparently, like this, <laughs> it's not safe. So this, this lady died because Apparently of it. Not. So um, I think she's probably out just having a good time. I'm just not a fan of doing drugs, period. Like, I, I don't know. I just. If you're gonna do it, just stay home. Don't go hiking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Good call. Common Absolutely. sense. And here's one closer to home. You two are like, oh my god! Thank God he didn't ask me if I do illicit <laughs> drugs. <laughs> These two, they're sweating back here. You can tell me if you want. <laughs> uh, police searching wooded area in Lee. Lee. Uh, this is my most favorite area, the Berkshires, for a New York woman reported missing. So, this is dated. <clears throat> actually Berkshire Eagle updated 10 hours ago so a large number of state and local police descended in the uh, Lee area which is north of the Berkshires and Tanglewood and all that it's a beautiful area 42 year old woman from Bethlehem New York was missing uh, since Sunday and they found her black Subaru at the trailhead and about 25 to 30 responders from state police and canine units just descended on this 40-acre park. And uh, let's see, shortly before 3 p.m., the no, no updates at this time. I do not think that they have found this person. No. No. So, isn't this depressing? It is sad. <laughs> like, it's sad. Sometimes I get depressed when we go over these stories. But, <clears throat> hey, you know, it's search and rescue. It's happening. It's out there. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, the uh, the region has been cured up here. Uh, but yeah. yeah, so there's a person missing in the Berks. Yeah, hopefully they'll they'll find them. I got to get out there soon, back to my uh, my college stomping grounds. But um, I'm sure we'll we'll keep an eye on that, and if we get any updates, we'll let you know. But stomp the next one here. I'll start reading these now. I'm back to sure. Go for it. I uh, I got my voice back here. But uh, this is a story about uh, the Ukraine. So um, a doctor gets his daughter and grandson out of the Ukraine after hiking through mountains for hours. So I respect this. So apparently this. Um, this lady had been studying ballet in Kiev and um, met a guy, had a, had, a, had a child. So the father is a Massachusetts guy. He was working to get his daughter and, and grandson out of the country before war broke out. But unfortunately, like they just had a hard time getting, getting people out. So um, she had been, I guess the daughter had been in the Ukraine for years um, studying ballet so she gave birth to her son um, at home during COVID-19. Kid doesn't have a birth certificate or a passport, so it doesn't have any of the documentation across the Ukrainian border. Um, 
so apparently the the daughter and her boyfriend uh, they're about 18 miles from Kiev and 300 miles from any border and they didn't own a vehicle um so i guess the i think if i'm reading this correctly the father returned to the country after the war began and was trying to help them get out of the country and I guess eventually they just figured out that they were going to have to hike their way out. So um, they planned a route through the mountains using maps, and they were able to cross the border. Um, and I guess they got into Slovakia. So that's pretty cool. They just were like, the father's just like, I'm going to get them out, and we're going to hike. So um, I don't know For exactly how they got to the point where they could hike, but they must have driven somewhere and then eventually had to go through the mountains. Yeah, where there's a will. Yeah. That's like a father with a special set of skills right there. Oh, hell yeah. That's a great story. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. All right, the next one. um, Nevada woman was found dangling from a tree. Um, They got her off the tree, and then she proceeded to vanish again. So this woman is a handful, 64 years old. (laughs) She was apparently dangling from a tree on February 14th. Um, I guess she has, and I don't know where this tree was, but they, they found her, the park, U.S. Park Rangers found her, and now she's missing in Bypass Bridge Park area near the Hoover Dam. So I guess she, I guess she was traveling to the area. She's a photographer, Corey, so I don't know what your, your, your photography friends are up to, but she's, she's dangling from a tree. Now she's missing. So they don't have information on where she is, um, but they are um, investigating at this time. No, when she was dangling, wasn't that like on a cliff face? If I yeah, it looks like re- it. Looks yeah, like okay. it. Yeah, recall this one. Probably trying to get the shot. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, right? I guess it was the middle of the night. She said that her legs had quite a bit of trauma. Um, so apparently she might have fell down some steep terrain. Um, she was near the what they call the Coughlin Ranch neighborhood. And um, they don't know exactly how she ended up clinging to the tree. But she was missing a shoe and... Um, Apparently, they got her down from that one, and now she's proceeded to go missing again. Hmm. And her name is uh, Gail Stewart. So, Gail, if you're listening, let us know wh- what tree you're hanging from, and we'll, we'll hope for the best. <laughs> Sense don't. Yeah. Yeah, sure, I'll go. <laughs> yeah. The next one is um, hiker plunges 30 feet underground into an old water tank, Massachusetts cops say. So this is in Munson, which I think is in Western Mass. So um, uh, guys, I need to laugh. I'm only laughing because the, the, the assortment of stories this time around is really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's crazy. But 32-year-old guy, he fell into, a, into the tank at 8 p.m. Um, on March 21st. And uh, emergency crews took about three hours to pull him out of there. Um, they said the authorities believe the tank used used to serve the Munson Development Center, and uh, there's no other details there. So, so we can only speculate. So he must have been maybe bushwhacking and just fell over, walked on a a wooden plank or something, and who knows? I don't Very know. interesting. I don't know. I mean, the photo from the news article, and I'll link the news article to the show notes, it looks almost like where Pennywise the Clown grabbed that kid and pulled him <laughs> under. Like, it looks exactly it, like that. It looks horrifying. It almost looks horizontal, though, to me. It almost looks like you have Just to work strange. to get in there. So I don't know what this guy was up to. He might have been exactly. taking some shrooms, too. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, 
But this is, uh, all right, so this is my former hometown, North Adams, Mass., the next one. So a woman um, hiking on the Cascade Falls Trail. I don't know where that is. Um, but she was out hiking, and um, she ended up having to call 911 on her cell phone. She slipped and hurt herself around one thirty on Friday. Northern Berkshire's e- um, EMS was dispatched in the North Adams Fire Department, who the only time I ever interacted with the North, Reading, uh, the North Adams Fire Department was when we used to burn couches on our fraternity row <laughs> back in college. I apologize to the North Adams Fire Department for that. Um, but this lady had two dogs with her and uh, a friend. So I guess they were working on getting the dogs out with the medics and firemen did their work. Do you guys have a, do you deal with that at all, Stompa? Like if you have somebody that's like injured and they've got a dog with them, like do you oh, guys sure. take the dog? Well, somebody is generally there if they're with uh, other people or we'll okay. just use one of the members to manage the dog. Got it. Yeah. But it's pretty rare that you would have like a solo hiker with a dog that gets injured and then you guys have to like figure out what to do with the dog. That has never happened on my watch. Yeah. Got it. But that's a good question. Yeah. Never thought of that. So <laughs> we might have to start packing the old pack a harnesses. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's a unique situation because generally <clears throat> search and rescue will not manage the dog. So yeah. Yeah. You have to fend for yeah, yourself. That's true. And you would assume that like the dog can at least. You know, maybe at least if somebody was nice enough to say, like, all right, I'll take the dog on the leash or whatever. But um, right. it, the chance of the human being injured and the dog being injured. Uh, well, that's a different circumstance. Yeah. yeah. You would have to manage it. Sure. Yeah. Huh. All right. Um, next one is in Honolulu. Um, this is my favorite one of the week. All right. I didn't read this one, so I'm just I'm doing it live here. So Honolulu <laughs> firefighters rescue hiker from Mauna Loa Middle Ridge Trail. So 31-year-old man on the Mauna Loa Ridge Trail um, claimed he was too tired to continue. So the hiker had reportedly been hiking about six hours and became exhausted. It gets better. Keep on reading. Okay. Okay. He was uninjured and did not require medical attention, uh, but could not make his way out from the trail. Um. Oh, they uh, so they uh, they pulled a helicopter. So right, the, the, they, it's they helicoptered and a rescue firefighter got a copter. Wow. wow, wow, isn't that wild? That's Man. crazy. So they lifted him out. Yeah, they sure did. As opposed to just letting him sit there for twelve hours and hydrate and everything else, like right. you know. that's a dream for most of the people who call nine one one. Exactly. Jeez, New Hampshire's mean. We would never use a helicopter for that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I find that amazing. I mean, seriously, up here, they would have to wait. A subject would just have to wait, and you'd walk when you're able, you know, even if, if it's tomorrow morning. Huh. I find that amazing. Well, okay. I wonder what Honolulu's policy is for charging. That's a good question. Yeah, we'll have to follow up on that one. Who knows? Yeah, and Stomp, the last one I have here is uh, you had sent this over to me. Or actually, I think one of our listeners had sent this to us like yesterday. Um, There's an active search and rescue operation underway for a man that was hiking on Pikes Peak. I've heard about this. Corey, have you been out there when you were in Colorado? Have you been to Pikes Peak? Pikes Peak I drove up, uh, but I haven't hiked it. Okay, yeah. So this guy, he's 26. And um, he was hiking for his birthday, and um, nobody's heard from him. So I guess he 
was hiking Monday night, so it's we're recording on Wednesday. Um, so he was going to be taking. His sister said he left plans, and I guess I don't really know the area that well, but he was going to be taking the Pike Pikes Peak Cog Railroad down the mountain once he finished his hike. So another cog. Yeah, and uh, he didn't reach the cog in time, so that's unfortunate. So they're looking for this guy. So it's an active search and rescue right now, so hopefully they'll find him. Um, they're focusing their search um, at or above tree line near Bar Trail. So that's scary. Like, um, you know, maybe he just wasn't physically fit enough to go down. Who knows what, what's going on there, but hopefully they find him. So we'll keep an update. We'll keep an eye on that one and see if we get any updates. Yeah. And just words of advice for people, if you're coming up over the next few weeks, which you probably will be, just remember that there's some serious ice hiding under the mud and the leaves and everything else. So bring your spikes, just watch your footing. Um, we do not want to see see you <laughs> in a search and rescue sense. <clears throat> Yeah, and it, you really got to be prepared for everything this time of the year. Like you, uh, when I was in the Belknaps, like the the monorails were there, but it wasn't bad. Like I didn't have to worry worry about um, them being too soft or and snowshoes. But like the farther north you go, uh, you're going to have to bring snowshoes if you if it's a warm day. You're going to sink sink through. So you just got to be prepared for everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fun stuff. Yeah, good time. So Stephen, Corey, thank you for joining us. Thank Great. you for having me. Great time. Pleasure as always. Yeah. Awesome. Have a great uh, wedding and time of your life, kid. Thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, all the best to you, Corey. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, we'll send the EMS your way once I work out the details. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did a photo shoot with them a couple of years back. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I missed opportunity, though. I should have sent them your way. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Put in all a right. good word for us. So, But thank you so much. And like I said, I will link all of your info in the show notes and then um if you are hungry go to reckless and stomp i guess that's it anything else yeah no that was a fun time until next week hungry or thirsty i meant uh, hungry or thirsty of course uh, yeah i was gonna correct you but i was like <laughs> no just let it slide <laughs> so uh, yeah we'll see you next week Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stump, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fishing Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some-
are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.